Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again to do another episode of the Nolcast. All right, Bud, a three and four Nolcast. Think that uh, always enjoy the instant reactions that you do, but I thought the Wake Forest one was a particularly good uh, effort, and would encourage anybody that hasn't listened to it to go back and uh, listen if they have an interest. Uh, we'll jump into a review of the Wake game. Also, have a broader conversation about. Uh, just the direction of the program, a lot of chatter about job security and uh, where your head coach is and perhaps his kind of life cycle as, uh, as Florida State's head coach. But uh, before we do any of that, thank our friends, New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product people were fortunate to be able to partner with and people that were fortunate uh, enough to be able to talk about a product that we both uh, very much authentically enjoy. So thank you to the good people there. And Bud, uh, let's get in and see where this conversation goes. It is one of our favorite products in the world. Uh, so I, I guess I'll, I'll jump off first uh, before we get into some nitty gritty stuff. Is there anything from the game that you really want to uh, want to chat about? Obviously, Today, Willie Taggart gave a different answer in his press conference for uh, the fourth down timeout situation than he gave postgame, neither of which made me real happy, to be honest. Uh, I don't know about you, just not real uh, comforting to to see that happen. I've watched the play a bunch of times now, and and my general thought is I think they were play calling that uh, to kick a field goal, at least my opinion. I have a feeling that uh, that is what they were doing. If that's the case, there's absolutely no reason to uh, have anybody be late onto the field to kick the field goal, right? Like you need to be organized on the sideline and say, okay, hey, be ready field goal team. If we do not get this, we are going to call for field goal, field goal, field goal, right? And this is something you in the booth, you need to have your guys discussing, okay, hey, what do we think Aguayo's chances are of making this here? What do we think our chances are of converting uh, a third and two? a third and four, a third and six, a third and eight, right? At what point, because we still have two two timeouts, at what point would we actually consider punting this ball? For instance, if we took a loss on the third and eight, right? All those decisions have to be made before that play is called. You need to have in your decision tree, okay, hey, if we get this many yards, we're going. If we get this many yards, we're kicking. If we actually end up losing yards here, we're going to immediately punt the ball and, and keep our, our, our two timeouts, right? Because then if you got to stop, there's a good chance, like, you know, Wake would give you ball, the ball back with, you know, maybe a minute or something uh, to just drive 20 or 25 yards to get a field goal. Unfortunately, Florida State did not do that, right? They had a guy r- running late onto the field. They were having to take a timeout so they could avoid uh, the uh, delay of game penalty, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's really just disorganized, and it's disappointing because, you know, Willie Taggart talks about at some point uh, the guys are going to the, the guys are going to make these plays that win close games. And my thought is, yes, coach, we, we know that uh, that close games for the most part come down to luck. There's also coaching, quarterback play, and kicking. Those are kind of the factors that smart football people have identified in terms of winning close games. Right. The thing you really control. Ingram is not being in a close game, right? You control blowing your opponent out, and you also generally control when you get blown out. But my thought is, okay, coach, you keep saying, hey, these players are going to make a play. Eventually, we're going to keep putting them in the spots to make them. When are you going to make the right coaching decision with the timeout? Like, are are you not being put in the right right, right spot to correctly call a timeout or not call a timeout or, or, or make a game management decision on time? Because that, that's just nonsense from Willie Taggart and his explanation uh, in, in what was otherwise a, a pretty fine press conference, I thought. Um, nah, look, he just doesn't want to come out and admit, yeah, I, I screwed this situation up. Yeah, you, you nailed nailed it in the instant. You can't you can't be coaching to uh, to kick a field goal there and then not be ready to kick a field goal there. I mean, it's, it's a very uh, – that's certainly some alarm bells uh, go off when you're – you're not able to execute what it appears that you're very much trying to strive for in, in your play calling and your general approach to that situation. Uh, I don't love Aguayo kicking in that situation, but I don't have a real big problem with it either. I mean, 
and the 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 mismanagement of of the game situations and the timeouts are something that I'm uh, a multiple of three or four of as far as critical of there rather than the necessarily decision to try to kick it. So uh, I actually went back and dug up some numbers here. We're big on data on the Nolcast, as you know, and uh, so Florida State trying to convert third and five or more this year is sub twenty five percent. So. And that, that includes fourth down. So third and fourth down, five or more, sub 25%, right? I think it's like 24.12 or something like that. What do you think the chance of him making that field goal is there? And you can't say zero, all right? Because I've had a lot of people on Twitter tell me that he had a 0% chance to make it. He, it do, he does, I think he, before that, was perfect in his career on kicks over 50 yards, like three of three. We're dealing with a really small sample here. He's had a poor year. It is raining. I, th- I think it's a coin flip. So you think he's about 25% to make it? Okay. No, I think he's 50-50 to make it. Oh, well then, so you would agree with kicking, just not agreeing with taking forever to get the guy on the field and burn the timeout? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I really don't have a problem with, I mean, Aguayo's a, a mess. Uh, I would not necessarily play for that situation, but the kick itself, I would much rather see you kick it than try to go uh on a what fourth and seven fourth and six whatever it was there so yeah i don't have a problem with a kick the leg wasn't the problem plenty strong enough leg he's got a chance to make it i think that's exactly the point man you 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 just nailed it there with like if your kicker doesn't have the leg to kick a 50 yard field goal then your chance actually is zero aguayo does have the leg he's not real accurate with it at times especially this year he struggled some mostly at home again we're dealing with small sample set theater here when you're talking about like home road splits for kicks. Uh, but yeah, I, the problem isn't the kick. The problem is the the execution of getting the players on the field and, and wasting the time out there. Um, we have some former uh, punters uh, that have kicked for Florida State that I know listen to us. I'd love to hear anybody's opinion on this. This is a real taking us off in my own little personal uh, thought circle. I kicked in middle school. I don't proclaim myself to be a kicking expert at all, but Aguayo does something in his follow-through that makes zero sense to me. And a kick is pretty much a the most similar thing is, is a golf swing. Um, and Aguayo strikes the ball and then does this toe. He basically inter- interrupts his own follow-through uh, with this bizarre toe tap on the ground. If anybody knows more about kicking than myself, I'd love to know their thoughts on that or his general uh, process. The kid has a certainly has a strong enough leg to get a paycheck to kick the ball, uh, but I do wonder some about just the simple mechanics in which he does. And uh, it would basically be like if when you teed off uh, on you know a par five that uh, that you stopped yourself midway through and tapped the club onto the ground in your backswing or something like that. It's it's a bizarre habit that he has. Again, just my own personal little comment on watching him kick. That is funky. Huh. I, I I don't even know if I've noticed so, that. Anybody that's done it at a higher level than I, I'd love their opinion. Yeah, for sure. I, we, we do have, have – uh, what if we have any kickers to listen to the show? I know we have some guys who have punted for Florida State to listen to the show because they'll send us stuff on, on the punting. As always, we will thank our friends at uh, For the Table Restaurant Group and uh, draw attention to the For the Table hospitality uh, opportunity to work with Matt and his team. These guys have a separate catering company that does weddings, events, 500-plus person parties, uh, can do everything from a large event to a uh, corporate office catering. Again, work directly with the people that we've been so fortunate to work with, Matt Thompson and his team. Contact Matt at Matt at ForTheTableHospitality.com. Again, Matt at ForTheTableHospitality Group. Thank you to them and all of the fine people who make up the establishments that uh, fall under the For The Table umbrella. So I guess we should probably transition here a little bit into all the rumors about Willie Taggart's job security. Uh, we're only, what, 19 games into his tenure here. This feels a little bit ridiculous to talk about, uh, but... It's not totally ridiculous when a guy keeps making some of the same mistakes over and over again. We've talked about this. Um, there's a lot of stuff I think that people would reasonably excuse or tolerate uh, given the roster issues that he took over, the APR issues, all that stuff. But some of the game management stuff, and I'm specifically talking about clock management. I don't think his game management is poor. I think his clock management is, is very poor. Uh, that stuff that he has immediate control over does not – 
relate at all to the quality of the players on the team, I don't believe. And uh, and that combined with some of the disorganization inside the building um, has him uh, has him with a lot a lot of people who are angry and and not unjustifiably angry. Um, they're they're not wrong to be angry. Totally justified and angry. I mean, I we get it. Another situation where um, you suffered, I don't know, heartbreaking. That's probably too hyperbolic. But you suffered an exceptionally disappointing loss. Uh, Many of the factors that are there that led to your loss feel like a a movie uh, that many fans have seen before. And there's times where you feel like you were not necessarily even outcoached, but that your own coaching was at times a a detriment to that. Uh, there was some inconsistency and in message, uh, I think, on some of the things that Florida State was trying to do with special teams. Uh, there was perhaps meddling in, in what you were trying to do in offense that re- let yourself be a unit that gave you a level of production that was hard to expect. Uh, there's some, some things that can be asked that aren't directed at the players at all, and ultimately at this point in the process, all fingers are going to start to point back to the head coach. Yeah, um, so Willie's definitely losing some allies inside the building. Uh, just people who I talk to who used to really support him and now uh, don't support him, uh, or at least don't support him uh, like they used to. But yet, that is that is different than like you can be mad at somebody, you cannot support somebody, you can say, "I really wish that we could have fired this dude." Uh, but that is a little bit different than reaching into your wallet and, and and cutting that check, right? And nobody needs to cut a check for a full buyout, right? Nobody's going to write no, nobody's going to stroke a 17 million dollar check. But I think there it is a little bit different um like there's a difference between being mad and actually being willing to to do something about it. And this is something we actually do like ask around on, right? Cuz there's been people who wanted to fire Willie last year, which was totally unreasonable and they were told that it was unreasonable unless they wanted to, you know, oh, look, do you have 17 million you can offer up? Cause that'd be, that'd be interesting. Um, if so, like, why aren't you donating on a more regular basis? But like, it does seem like we could get to a point this year to like, uh, like we said in the preseason, right? Willie's fine unless something crazy happens. And I think, what would you define crazy as missing a bowl for the second straight year against the schedule? I would describe uh, Willie being in real threat of being fired uh, at four games, being one or less, uh, maybe five. I, here, here's where I think the relationship with some uh, who are very influential has has perhaps pivoted, and perhaps that you can tie specifically to the weight game. Um, if there's an opinion of those who uh, at least see themselves being instrumental in going and paying checks that are necessary to have a million dollar offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach that comes with him, if they begin to believe that you are starting to act in a manner where you're either uh, inhibiting or uh, the head coach is getting involved at a level that's detrimental to the offense that you brought that guy over for, uh, specifically when you're trying to transition the head coach into a CEO role, uh, that that can sour a relationship exceptionally fast. And that can turn people who previously have been on the sideline uh, perhaps to getting involved or at least wanting to see uh, a change be made. So uh, I do think that there's those that are particularly frustrated with Willie about how things have gone, but uh, look, not that everybody should listen to us or uh, take our opinion as as fact, but I think you expected them to maybe win by one. I thought they were going to win by either two or three, and they ended up kicking a field goal for a game that they ended up losing. So the, the outcome at Wake itself was not wildly unexpected, um, but there's some things there in addition to how that loss came about that I think has uh, – maybe caused a couple of people to kind of cross the proverbial Rubicon when it comes to uh, where they're looking at Willie and ultimately if they think he's ever going to have success. I, I think that's, that's a really good point, right? It, it, that's another thing to add on to some of the game management issues and the internal disorganization that, that they perceive uh, from people inside that building. Yeah, like there's, there's no doubt that people have some reasons to be mad here. And we're going to get to this because it doesn't – there's some other stuff too. But, you know, one narrative we've heard a lot is 
like, hey, I don't think John Thrasher wants to make a change. And we've heard that from people who are, are pretty well connected. Um, you know, he was instrumental in, in, in making this hire. All this nonsense about there was not a real search. There was not uh, like the, the buyout is not like it's a sweetheart buyout, that type of thing. All that's nonsense. We know a, a long list of candidates they looked into. And the buyout is very standard across college football for a guy who had a very good job. And you were literally having to buy him out from that that contract and give him a contract attractive enough uh, to come to Florida State. So uh, th- that kind of stuff, get in our email inbox. If you send that to me, I usually just delete the email, right? Like that that shows to me that you're not like like you're in revisionist history. That's just not true. Uh, but let me ask you this: Thrasher's probably going to retire within the next what eighteen months? Probably the, he's not going to go to a, to another contract, from what I understand. Do you like he's going to go down as one of the best presidents, if not the best, four states ever had? This is probably like one of the only real sort of blips on on, on his record. Or blemishes on his record, and I, I do wonder: like, Do you think that he cares about his reputation like that? Because I had somebody float that to me today. Hey, he might actually care about his reputation enough that he wants to do something about this if it gets really bad. Now, I would not define it as being really bad right now. Um, I don't know John Thrasher personally. I know that powerful, successful men, as they age, uh, more times than not, start to fixate on their. Uh, you know, quote unquote legacy and how they're going to be seen. Uh, I th- completely agree with you. Even if Thrasher to walk out the door tomorrow, uh, he would be considered <laughs> nothing short of a smashing success at Florida State, a transformational presidency uh, from a person who many thought uh, was going to be nothing other than basically a political appointment and uh, maybe not, not that he wouldn't take the job seriously, but that he would not. Uh, listen to as many and uh, and kind of display the leadership that has gotten really the entirety of a university behind uh, his tenure. So I think that and also I think Thrasher probably wants to start to transition. But I, I think the window of time that Thrasher may be there, maybe slightly longer uh, if health is is available. I think that's fair. Um, so. We went over this. It does not mean that checks will be cut. Uh, but if people if people keep increasing in anger, I mean, this is kind of what we've been saying, right? As of now, yeah, the, the money is is not there. If they're having to ask around for contingency plans, like I, I like I believe is happening, like, hey, if we had to make a move, what could we get? And I, I think you've heard some of that too from you know from some of your contacts. Like, all right, if we had to do something, what can we actually count on you for? Type type thing. If they're having to ask around for that now, guess what? The move's not being made tomorrow. You know, this is like you, you're not announcing a firing or something crazy like that uh, on on a Tuesday. If, if you're having to ask ask people if they could contribute on a Monday, that's just not that's not how timetables work. Uh, in my opinion, this is more about what happens if this turns into a disaster because there is a chance it turns into a disaster. Now, I think you define disaster, like you said, at four and eight. I'm a little bit more negative on that. I, I think like I think if you miss a bowl with this schedule, uh, I would define that probably as a disaster. Because that means to me, in the games you should have won, you went. Well, like, or, or I just said four and eight was an automatic firing. Yeah, I think four and eight, yeah. they would find I, I, a way. I, the four and eight's the record where there's not really much of a discussion. You're having a head coaching change. Uh and five, five, and I would label five and seven a disaster. I would label the first two years of your tenure not making a bowl game after it had happened for however many years in a row. I would label that as disastrous, definitely. I, I agree. So let, let's let, let's just cut out um, ULM because you want it, although it was you know sort of a necessary struggle, and UF and Clemson because those are the games that were you already knew. Uh, we're we're going to happen on the year, right? So that so, and Alabama State will cut it. We'll cut that out too. So there are basically eight games on this schedule uh, that you knew. Uh, I think that you knew the the result, or that you did not know the result of, and that would be Boise, Virginia, Louisville, NC State at Wake, Syracuse, Miami, and BC. 
if you miss a bowl with this at five and seven, I mean that means that you've gone three and five against that group. Now, you can I can make you an argument, not necessarily a good one, I don't think, but I can make you an argument that a team that goes five and seven could have actually shown improvement on the field, but it's not a strong one, right? It, it's it's not a strong one at all. This team is better than it was last year, but it's not better enough for my liking. And if it's not better enough for my liking, and I'm somebody that really digs into the data and goes above and beyond just the, the wins and losses, uh, I can damn sure guarantee you that that you know improving from like mid 70s in the nation to like mid 50s is not enough. In fact, I think in the preseason I said I want to see them be a top 45 level team. You know, I think we we're we we're roughly around there. That to me is is still a reasonable goal. Uh, to hit, but they've they've got to get get cracking on that. Uh, and the chance they go five and seven is not is not zero, right? I think it's probably like, w- I mean, what number would you throw on it? Like thirty five percent, maybe? Um, yeah, I, mean, I was exactly the number I was going to say is thirty five percent. I was going to say thirty five percent. And and not to just hammer home what I said the the reason why so much frustration I think is tied to this Wake Forest game is that the reason for a lot of the statistical improvement and a lot of the um, real areas tangible uptick from what you saw last year is tied to a guy that many people have concerns that you're now meddling and uh, being involved at a micro level when perhaps the the overall plan and betterment of the program would have you more involved uh, at macro and perhaps trying to situationally dictate what you're doing, uh, not necessarily getting involved in a play-to-play or a down-to-down type of uh, input on what the offense is trying to do. And, uh, yeah, I, like, and the thing is, and if the, you're Kendall the relationship Browse, strife that may come from that. If you're Kendall Browse, if you're Clements, you need – uh, like and you're not happy with how this offense is being run because Willie Taggart's meddling in the offense too much in your opinion. And, and I should know, like every coordinator I've ever known always thinks the head coach is, is too involved in their side of the ball, right? They want to have 100% autonomy to run it whatever way they see fit. But you made a great point that like part of this Taggart offseason selling point was let him be a CEO, let him focus on the bigger concerns like timeout management, time management during a game, personnel, that kind of stuff. And if he's worrying about what plays they're calling in a game, which I think he is, uh, then yeah, I'd, I'd be really pissed if, if I was one of those boosters who ponied up that money uh, to, to get Bryles from Houston and later on to get Clements from Houston, although I think that's a really uh, interesting point we, we'll discuss in a moment. You're exactly right, because it, it feels like if I'm one of those mega boosters, I'm feeling like you're wasting my money, Willie Taggart, right? I just paid this, this, this offensive wizard and now you're screwing with it. The reason I had to go pay this offensive wizard in my mind, and this is probably not totally true in actuality, is because you didn't do a good job on the offense last year. Right? I mean, does that make sense? Like, like that's a good way to piss somebody off is to have them pony up and then screw with what they ponied up for. That's uh, the exact situation that we're describing. Yes. And uh, it can be the catalyst to change many a relationship and uh, perhaps has. So – Here's another thing. Uh, Josh Newberg on 247, I've known him for a while. Good recruiting guy there over there. Um, also a, a, a fine grower of plants. Um, world traveler. He reported that, uh, that discussions had been had between uh, Florida State and Jimmy Sexton, Willie's agent, as far as the buyout. And I think that's important to report. However, I also, and I'm not trying to say that it's not true. I'm not trying. In fact, I think it probably is true. I'm not sure. Tr- well, yeah, it's it's true. I'm not trying to say that uh, that it's not significant. However, I will note I don't think the average fan out there knows just how frequently stuff like this happens. I, I work with a guy who breaks. He's probably one of the top three or top four coaching search news guys out there. Stephen Godfrey. I mean, he literally wrote like Meet the Bagman, and he was like yeah this this happens all the time i don't think people realize just how common it is for an ad or somebody to inquire with your agent hey uh what's the state what, what, what's the status of, of his buyout like is he happy is, is there any chance he would take less so i thought we should do a little role play if you're down <laughs> uh 
do you want to be uh, AD David Coburn or do you want to be Ed Burr or do you want to be uh, Jimmy Sexton? <laughs> I'll uh, I'll be Jimmy Sexton here. I look forward to that. Just imagining the status of my checking account. All right, I will be I'll be David Coburn. All right. Uh, so, uh, ring, 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 ring. Some somebody else, not myself, because I don't answer my own phones. If I'm Jimmy Sexton, but the phone has since been patched in. Uh, hello, Mr. President. How are you today, sir? Hey, Jimmy. Hey, hey. I'm I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, hey, you know we we got a little situation here with with Willie Taggart. You know he, he we we brought him in to be a, a really excellent recruiter, steward of the program, CEO, coach, and we're having some problems. We got a little little meddling with the offense down here, and he's also uh, one only. Uh, one road game in his time, uh, and we've had repeated issues with with, with, with timeouts and there's some disorganization stuff. And uh, you know, just not not saying that we would do anything like this. Obviously, we're not going to uh, break this contract. But uh, you know, if 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 we did decide we wanted to move in a different direction, it, how much how much room is there in this buyout? How, like, is is Willie happy? Is there any chance that he might want to take uh, maybe an earlier lump sum? Uh, JG Wentworth style, and, uh, and and go ahead and move on somewhere else. Well, when my client left his uh, past job, he described uh, yours as a dream job, and it certainly was. But uh, my responsibility was to put him in a uh, place that was secured by a, a contract. And uh, at this point in time, we plan on probably living up to every number in that contract. Now, I'll certainly talk to my client and see if. Uh, Maybe his ideas of what he wants out of life or if he wants to uh, move to another part of the country and uh, be as financially secure as possible, uh, then maybe he would look at taking a, an early lump sum payment. But for now, we would expect uh, both sides to live up to the uh, numbers that we agreed to and we'll continue to operate off the contract at hand. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah I, I understand it's a standard contract and you know, Willie thinks that uh, things are moving in the right direction and but uh, it, it sounds like uh, if, if we want things to move in the right direction faster, we're going to need to come up with that, uh, that $17 million. Uh, All right, uh, Jimmy, good talking with you as always. You know, if there's any situation that changes, uh, just, just let us know, uh, please. Well, I have a feeling whether you move on from uh, my current client or any other, we'll be talking because I have a monopoly on this game and represent basically anybody worth a crap. But thanks for calling me today, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, so that kind of stuff happens all the time. Sometimes there is like a situation where a coach would take a reduced buyout because he wants to go take a, a, a different job potentially. Um, you know, Gus didn't Gus Malzahn negotiate a reduced buyout at Arkansas in 2017, I believe it was, or they wanted to take a, a reduced buyout or something. Uh, it 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 does happen. It's just not like super likely to happen. You know that that to me is. It, the idea now the other way you can get a reduced buyout is if you have dirt on somebody and I'm not going to sit here and say that that they do I'm not going to imply that they do I'm just saying in general sometimes you will see a coach take less than his buyout number if there's something that he does not want to come out and that enough that a such the people who know about it like it's such a small number of people right that you could keep it contained so far um I don't want to imply anything nefarious there. I'm just saying. Oh, there's. I mean, pe- people don't walk away from money, and there's no reason for Willie to. If I'm Willie, there's no way in hell I'm walking away. This is my dream job. I actually have made the team better this year. I came into a situation that if I had known about the APR stuff, there's a real good chance I don't take the job and I just stay at Oregon. Right? I probably feel pretty bitter about about some of this stuff. Like I come in and you immediately slash my budget and pull my drink fridges out, like almost on day one. And it was just that's a metaphor, but it's also a thing that happened. Uh, I'm I'm probably not super happy with Florida State's admin if I'm Willie right now. You know, like maybe he wanted to have a different defensive coordinator in there, or bring in some bring in a different dude or some other guys. And instead, the budget got cut. Now he made some mistakes that are totally totally beyond the budget stuff that he has to own. And it's on him, like misevaluating the roster last year and hyping up the roster to levels that I think a head coach should not do. And ignoring advice from people who told him that certain kids on this team were not good kids, despite the fact that they were all of a sudden acting like good kids. And they were probably just fooling him. Uh, people that you and I know very well who told him stuff like this. But 
like Willie's not Willie doesn't have another big time job lined up if if he were to somehow get let go this year, right? There's zero reason for him to take a reduced buyout. Now, would USF take him back if they were to make a move on Charlie? Probably, right? I mean, he's like the most successful coach USF's ever had if you factor in the Levitt, you know, the, the way he left there. So here's something else, too. And, and we're just running this down because the, these, you know, all the social media stuff is just so, so prevalent. And this is what we honestly what we got the most questions about. You know, so far this year, or not not this year, but this week. If they fire him, are you firing him and getting better, or are you firing him just to kind of like because you don't want him to be your coach anymore? Do you actually have a cogent plan, or is this just kind of short term thinking versus long term thinking? I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Well, I just think it's. Uh, I mean, you gotta if you're firing Willie Taggart at this point. I think you've got to have somebody in mind immediately. I, I don't think you're just firing because you want to operate as an interim or with an interim for three weeks, go through this cycle of not signing a, <laughs> of basically not signing a class. Uh, obviously, you're going to sign, you're going to have numbers, but you're going to kill yourself with the reality that is uh, the early signing period and what going through. Uh, two classes in three years where you basically kneecap yourself uh, as far as who you're going to sign and who you're going to be able to sign. And I don't see that. And I don't, um, I'm normally not dismissive of other people's work, but I think names like Urban Meyer, I think you're wasting your time, uh, even letting that enter your your gray matter there uh, as a fan. So I don't see the name out there. I don't see anybody on the horizon that you would just be itching uh, to go make a move like this. And then I, you know, I, I, I still hate to say this and it pisses people off, but I, we're not really dealing with a, a different financial situation. You referenced the, the drink machines. Uh, you didn't go across, uh, you didn't make across the board cuts in your athletic department because you wanted, you know, the practice and accounting to do it. it it's a, a thing where you soured a relationship with a lot of different coaches uh, not necessarily means that you won't be successful, but that's a painful thing to do, and it pisses everybody off, and there's a reason they did it. Uh, and it's the same institution that's having to kind of operate on a skeleton budget here the next two to three years as they transition through some hard times, and uh, nobody at uh, the point in time was maybe at a place to alleviate the financial hardships that would be uh, absorbed in such a process. I completely agree. Look, it's it's not that hard to go to somebody and say, hey, we need some money for a buyout of a coach who we're going to hire, right, to buy him out of, of his school. It is hard to, to go to somebody for some money and say, hey, we need some money for the buyout of the guy who we just asked you to buy out to get from Oregon two years ago. And then, all, hey, by the way, we're going to need you to cut another check on top of that to go get a new guy. Most anybody you want is going to have a budget or a buyout, rather, of probably 10 to 15 million. And you're talking about... I mean, close to probably close to forty million bucks in buyouts in terms of firing buyouts and hiring buyouts. Now it would be over a four or five year period, and there's some offset in there. Man, that is like that is insane to to, to think about. And there is this is something I know you you and I talked about a lot before the show. There is so much more important stuff that this program needs to be spending money on than paying people not to work. Be, like after only two years on the job, especially when this is not a program who we feel is ready to win right now at the highest level. It's not like anybody you get in here would make this team dramatically better in, in, in 2020 than it would be with Willie, I don't think. And I'm not a big fan of Willie right now, if you can't tell, right? But I think realistically here, looking at, at the roster, looking at your APR issues, like so go, go into the financials a little bit of this, because this was kind of striking to me, especially when, when comparing it to UGA. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to give you some numbers here and give you kind of an idea. There, there's I don't want to say there's there's booster infighting. I, I don't think there is. In fact, I think the boosters, uh, those that are make uh, the more important decisions, are, I don't want to say in lockstep here, but uh, there's a real hesitancy in spending a significant chunk of money uh, for an institution that needs every significant chunk of money to go to real tangible stuff. Uh, since December of 2015, UGA, 
This is just a reference. UGA is rich as hell, and they've spent a lot of money recently, so I want to acknowledge that. But this is a good perspective, okay? Since 2015, UGA's dumped $173 million, 173.5 to be official, into facilities alone in three uh, major major upgrades that they've made. Uh, I don't know what Florida State spent over that period of time. I could try to figure out and circle back with uh, our listeners next week. I would guess that it's... when you think a third's a safe bet, bud, during that period of time? I'm pretty sure it's safe to say under a third of that. I don't want to be uh, just crazy hyperbole, but I I think it's at least a third. South Carolina just did a $50 million football operations bill, uh, building. Florida, $50 million fl- football operations. LSU just did $23 million on a new locker room. Florida State doesn't have $23 million to write just to make people go away. Uh, really interesting look at the donor bases here. Um, okay, so Georgia, again, ridiculous amounts of money. But just at some of the levels that you look at Georgia, Georgia has a thing called the McGill Society. It's people who have pledged $25,000 over a five-year period of time. They have more than 1,050 people that have pledged to that, uh, which is a nice little group and having a hard time getting an exact like-for-like comparison with Florida State. What is not now, even a now comparison. that is in addition to what that is in Ingram, a, that uh, is not tied to season tickets. Yeah, yeah, please. So that is people who have donated the football twenty five thousand over a five year period, and it's not related to season tickets. Not related to season tickets, and that is a nice little thing to have and to build up. But what really. Um, <laughs> What's what's really a difference when looking at two different programs? Let's talk about something called the Silver Circle, bud. The Silver Circle is people that have pledged a million dollars or more over a five-year period of time. Georgia has approximately 38 of these, somewhere between 40 and 36. We're not sure the exact number, but we're going to say approximately 38, okay? That's people that have have pledged, on average, $200,000 or more. Florida State last year year had four— Over a five-year period. Per year. Florida State had 14 people in total that gave $25,000 or more. That's that just gives you an idea as to the disparity in some of the built up institutional support that exists at some of these schools and what exists at Florida State right now. And Georgia scholarships are endowed and ours are not. Yeah, yeah, they're Georgia's looking at endowing things that Florida State can't even begin to dream of. Uh, Florida State, whenever you have these financial discussions, you have to go to the back to the fact, sadly, that these scholarships have yet to been endowed. Uh, it's it's basically the beginning fundamental building block of financial security uh, that Florida State continues to kind of borrow on each year. Right. And for those of y'all who don't understand what this means is that schools like Georgia, their endowment for scholarships is big enough to where they literally pay this. They, they pay the scholarships, unless I'm wrong here, Correct me. They pay the scholarships based on what they make on their endowment in terms of interest and and returns on that each year. Correct? Like, no money you give to Georgia now goes to scholarships. At Florida State, a large portion of the money that you have have to give goes to them. And all of those things that we just talked about, some of the disparity between money spent, uh, money pumped into facilities, and then uh, all of these schools that you want to compete with – uh, with the exception of Clemson, uh, receive a 45, an approximate $45 million a year check uh, with the tie-ins to the SEC network. None of this stuff is necessarily new. None of this is like, you know, your jaw hits the floor when you hear it. But it's just a reminder. These are the waters that Florida State wants to swim in. Florida State as an institution has convinced itself at playing big boy football and playing it at the high level, highest level. And at least for now, uh, many people who, uh, you know, opinion counts when it comes to money, I think are more interested in trying to spend money on buildings and tangible assets uh, before they do a buyout. And Bud and I, uh, or at least I am, I don't want to put words in, in Bud's mouth, we're not dismissing the idea that you're going to see a precipitous fall off 
in uh, things that are revenue generators if Willie Taggart sticks around. That's understood. That's acknowledged. But I, I don't know that we're quite there yet. I completely agree with you on that. Uh, those Georgia numbers are shocking. I mean, to have about 40 people who give a million bucks over a five-year period when Florida State has 14 who give 25000 plus per year is uh, is is pretty pretty staggering, right? That, that really helps to – we've always said on this show, I think probably since the beginning, man, look, Florida State can play big boy football, but Florida State has kind of got to moneyball it, right? The Rays made the playoffs and gave the Astros a hell of the run. Okay, it can be done – but the Rays cannot afford to throw money away on, on stuff. They have to be very efficient. They have to be very smart. The Astros, or more aptly here, the Yankees when they want to, can afford to sign a pitcher at $18 million a year, and then if he doesn't perform, they can just cut him and eat, and eat the money. If the Rays have an $18 million pitcher or a $20 million pitcher who starts to suck, the Rays are sunk, right? They, they, they really should not make that kind of move. And, and I, I hate to use the pro sport analogy because it's not a one-for-one. One, but if you read Moneyball, like, Florida State has to, has to be very efficient. They have to find some advantages on the margins. And it doesn't make a whole lot of financial sense to do this. Now, the counter to that from people inside that building who I've talked to say, yeah, but we're so worried about the season ticket numbers for, for next year. We're so worried about the revenue for, for next year. And that kind of stuff. And I, I, they're not wrong, right? I think you'll probably have a continued booster drop-off as you've had for the last five years now. Basically, every year, I think, since the one year after the Natty, the, the booster numbers have, have gone down uh, a good bit. And a lot of that's because the boosters have not been well run, in my opinion. Their, their customer service is oftentimes very lacking. We get a lot of emails about that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, and because the product on the field has not been very entertaining to watch and it's been just not not a good product in, in many cases, like that, all those things matter. But my thought is, okay, here on my, on my sheet, I have fire Willie, then what written down? I think a lot of people have the fire Willie part figured out as far as like they want to make the move, although the money thing is, is huge as we just talked about. But do they have the other part of this figured out in which, what do you do after that? You just mentioned there's not a whole lot of candidates out there who you could reasonably go get who would actually inspire people. And that's the thing. In my opinion, it really might be better. And look, I'm assuming that this team makes a bowl. If they don't make a bowl, strike this whole podcast, fire Willie. Okay? In my, like if, you, if you go five and seven, I think you really have to, have to, have to pull the plug. And, be, and I'm not a big fan at all of only giving a guy two years. I, I think that's a drastic measure especially in the early signing period era to do something like that because you've really like you only get one full recruiting class before you pull the plug on a guy that's that's pretty outrageous although if you miss two bowls in a row at Florida State against a schedule that I have currently rated as 45th in the country yeah I'm willing to listen to that but like what coach are you going to go out there this year and get that's going to get people super super fired up uh, this is another thing we could talk about like the timing of this also really sucks. If you're going to fire Willie Taggart, fire him right now and have somebody in mind, like you said, who you have ready to plug in and play because you've got an early signing period coming up. And if and this is what I don't want to have happen. And let me let me and let me lay this out. Okay. Let's say that Willie ends up winning 3 of the next 4. Okay? Alabama State counts as one, so it's really 2 of the next 3. He goes into that Florida game at 6-5. and five. Florida stomps him. You get some of these guys to finally say, you know what, yeah, I'm going to write the check. At that point, it's too late because then we're talking about firing a guy and starting a legitimate, like starting a coaching search around Thanksgiving. Early signing period is December 18th. That is not enough time. You will put another bad class together like Willie's first one, basically. And that's assuming you can't hold on to a lot of the guys in his class, and I think that's a fair assumption. We know for a fact that these early signing period classes already, and I don't have the full data on this yet because these kids have only been in school for two years, but man, these early signing period classes that these new coaches put together, they suck. Because a lot of times these stars you're getting are, are guys you're getting only because like other schools maybe didn't want them quite as much as, as their star rating indicated. You know, look, look at Florida State's offensive line class that, that it signed in that year. Any of those guys going to play? I think we got our. I think we kind of got a little preliminary answer on on Chaz Neal there. By the way, I know we've had some skepticism about him recent, 
you saw who came into the game, right? It was Darius Washington. It, it was not it was not Chaz Neal, who some of the media outlets would tell you uh, at this preseason was really showing a lot of improvement. And I've, I've got those screenshots that people sent me from other outlets that I was like, ah, well, I, I guess we have a difference of opinion on that because uh, I, I don't think the kid can play at this level at Florida State, at least not based on what I've seen. Maybe that'll change. Um, I think that's what I don't want to have happen. I don't want them to wait and then decide to make this move. Either you decide, hey, we know what? Well, three years is kind of a short time period. We're going to give him three years. We're not going to do something crazy like a two-year firing unless he fails to make a bowl. Once he, once he gets bowl eligible, he's safe for this year. You, you can give that positive message to recruits, et cetera, et cetera. I just – man, if you go with two early signing period classes of new coaches in a three-year period, you are setting your roster up for a big-time problem. Here's another issue, right? Like, what do you think is going to happen with, with transfers if you make a coaching change after just two years? Think you might have a couple transfers come, leave the program? Maybe. I think you're going to be uh, swimming around pretty nasty APR waters, definitely. I mean, you're, you, it's just a horrible situation in general. Are we just going to be stuck in APR purgatory forever? Like, is that what we want to do? Do we, do we want to pull a Tennessee and be firing coaches every two, three years? Like, I get Willie's not doing a good job right now on the whole, especially on, on, on Saturdays. Uh, but, man, like, this is not – it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do that in, in, in some in some respects, unless you're just so worried about what you're going to lose next year in season ticket sales that you beg people to, to cut the checks or find that money from some other project and delay uh, that project getting done. I also think, like, here's something somebody brought up to me today, and I was talking. I, I spent a lot of the day on the phone, if you couldn't tell, talking to some people. If you're a coach out there, and we already talked about this some, I feel like. But damn, hey, you want to sign on to be the head coach of Florida State and uh, and have a new president, new booster president, and new AD, all, all those three positions come open in the next, let's say, two years? Like, does that, does that feel like a lot of job security to you? It doesn't to me. And you know the way that they could solve this problem, Ingram? Money. They could give a guy a Matt Rule-style contract and give him a 100% guarantee and like a fully guaranteed eight years at a real high number like Baylor had to do when Baylor was, was climbing out of its rape scandal. And they had to go and try and get a guy to come there who otherwise would not have come there if they had not given him that ridiculous deal. Does that sound like a contract that Florida State is in position to, to offer to somebody right now? To overcome their, their, the their administrative turnover, which we know is coming. Absolutely. Not uh, not in play. Not in play for Florida State right now. All right, Ingram, Ingram, it is time to talk about Resolution Home Loans. The Nolcast is proudly presented from the Resolution Home Loans studio, which, of course, we named it that because I got my house via Resolution Home Loans, and almost 40 Nolcast listeners have also gotten their homes via Resolution Home Loans. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or visit fsuhomeloans.com, you'll be connected with some of the best loan guys in the game. In particular, Shannon Young. Shannon has done my loan. He's done many of our other listeners' loans. Shannon is the expert to go to. Again, 844-FSU-LOAN. They also have the Hamilton for Heroes program. Fire, police, EMT, nurses, etc. Get your fees waived. Give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN, or visit fsuhomeloans.com. So we talked APR. We talked the ad, admin issues. We talked there's not really a whole lot of amazing candidates right now. There's some, but I don't want to get into that uh, right now. Also, I think like the coach would have questions. What kind of money do you have for assistance and support staff? Is this uh, how long am I going to be dealing with these budget cuts? Because the answer is at least one more year, right? And what like what kind of timeline do you expect me to fix this thing immediately? I'm, I'm going to want to be able to cut some kids, and we want to bring in, bring in my own guys, and that's tough. Uh, that, that's a whole lot of turnover for these kids in uh, in a short period of time. There is the idea, potentially, if you were to do this, right? And again, I don't think either of us believe this is actually going to happen because I don't think, unless they miss a bowl, obviously, which is kind of the one possibility we've always left open. You could potentially go interim. Now, you'd have to do this in kind of a sham way because you can't just have an interim coach for a whole year, you know, because you, you're, you'd get negatively recruited like crazy. So what you'd have to do is basically give them, 
give the coach a, like a, a contract with real money, but not make it super guaranteed and have him basically understand like, yeah, like you'll be coaching for your job based on this one year or whenever that admin leaves. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, this is like you could do an AD thing, right? If, if the boosters like browse enough or probably more likely, um, you know, your, your, your current, <laughs> your current analyst, but that there's a whole lot of recruiting ramifications that come with that, um, which is why you can't just put them on a one-year contract. I had somebody suggest that to me today, and I was like, "Man, this guy's got some money, but he—I don't think he understands how, how college football operates. Like, you can't be on a one-year contract. Imagine imagine signing your kid over to to a school where the coach is on a one-year deal. <laughs> like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Anyway, like." I don't even know why we had this conversation. I, I guess it, this is mostly a listener-driven show, and sometimes I think some of the questions are not that good. But uh, this was a show that we actually we actually got a lot of really good questions for our listeners about. You know, even if it's, if it's a topic that I know we've already covered. But I think the reason why we elected to do it was because five and seven is now a lot more likely than it was uh, a month ago, and if that possibility increases in probability, uh, then you need to address the, the possibility. Uh, and I think that is indeed what Florida State's administration is doing right now, or should be doing at least. Like, hey, what happens if, if this guy actually misses a bowl again? Like, do we have what it would take to get rid of him? And then what the hell do we do if, if he does do that? I, th- I think you made a great point earlier in the pod that there, there are – some worst case scenarios uh, being played out. And I think as soon as even that conversation is had and acknowledged, uh, a lot of people extrapolate it to that's the current conversation that's being had. Preparations are being made and uh, perhaps the ball is a little further, further down the hill in some people's mind than uh, it necessarily is. So um, a lot of people are frustrated. Uh, A lot of people are very angry. Unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily change the financial realities of the situation. And, uh, we've said this for a while. Uh, n- neither of us claim to know everybody who, uh, who has a checkbook and who contributes a program, but, uh, we've been fairly adamant in the fact that there would have to be like money that was otherwise not accounted for present itself, uh, to do this in a, a more expedient manner. And, um, unless that becomes available, unless somebody that's, you know, traditionally given 5,000 calls the more center and says that he has, you know, 10 million towards making a new head coaching uh, or going about the process of getting a new head coach. Um, you're just going to have to see something drastic uh, to see a process like this. And I don't, I think like when we're talking about changes are going to occur within 48 hours or something like that, um, that we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I don't think we're there right now. I, I will bet you changes will not occur within 48 hours. <laughs> And uh, I will not. Uh, I will not participate. In There's that no bet, way so. you let Willie go. Willie go in his press conference, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I mean, Willie's your coach. Willie's your coach at this point. We already kind of talked about the play calling stuff. I'm fairly confident that Kendall Browse is not real happy right now with with Willie. Um, I think that's been obvious for a little bit, but at the same time, it is kind of hard for me to separate that, like I said, from you know some other stuff. Uh, as far as like other, what other coordinators have said about their head coaches before, <laughs> you know, they like to complain about stuff. Yeah, I think. Uh, and when you're talking about recruiting, you end up getting some of that. Yeah, I think that's standard. You're absolutely right. I do think it's where uh, maybe browse or people that would be supportive of browse would say that that maybe maybe some of the explicit direction and amount of control that he was going to have uh, when discussing the job is not necessarily what he has when. Uh, playing out the responsibilities of the job on game day right now. I totally agree, and I don't want Willie Taggart meddling in the offense, like, at all. I, I, I don't even think Willie Taggart's a bad offensive coach. I, I really don't. If you bring in Bryles, the guy who you literally learned your offense from, right, and he's here with, with his run game coordinator slash, like, offensive line coach, let that dude cook, and until you show me Willie Taggart that you can actually count and do a dance like, and learn how to use your timeouts, focus on that kind of stuff during the game rather than trying to screw around with the play calling. All right, because this is nonsense. That that like you you got your head 
in, in a call sheet or a tendency sheet or whatever you want to call that that he was holding on, on on the game. And I can't tell you that he was specifically calling plays, but you know uh, that the one where they have the uh, um, the the diamond or, or the trips to to the one side and and they do the uh, the fake and they run QB counter out of that's a very willy play to me. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad play, but it's something they, they ran at USF. They ran at Oregon. They actually ran it last year, uh, some here. And up until this point in the season, I had not seen us run that. So, you know. All right. Um, quarterback. Willie said that he thought James played uh, well. Other people think James played terribly. I'm kind of in the middle on this. I don't think he played, like, very well. I don't think he was terrible. Um if you look at his actual numbers from the game, Florida State did have five drops. He was 27 of 43. Um, I'm not going to be one of these people that's like, oh, if you take away the drops, because it's not fair to take away all the drops. But let's say let's say you take away three of the five, right? Then you're looking at a guy who's like 30 for 43 for probably 330, 320. And everybody's talking about how, how great of a game he had. Um, I will note, though, that... Florida State's success rate on passing downs was um, was 30%, which is actually not that bad compared to what they normally do, but Wake's defense is not very good, so I would dock him some for that. He had a couple throws on third down that were kind of short of the sticks, you know, and I, I don't think he did a very good job on those. Some of those, that might be receiver route running. I would consider starting Hornerbrook this weekend, I, I, I think. I was totally on board with not changing out the guys unless they played terribly. I don't think he played poorly enough to be changed out during the game. But at the same time, I'm not – like, are you opposed to playing Hornerbrook? And I'm also like, if you think KV wants to play – or Kendall Browles wants to play play Hornerbrook, then, I mean, maybe you defer to the guy you brought in to coach the offense. Well, you need to, you need to play who your offensive coordinator wants to play. Um, I personally – I'm not going to put too much stock in the quarterback conversation because I think we know at this point we have two flawed, uh, limited candidates. Yeah, I mean, it's not worth the fan base getting in a big argument about who should be playing quarterback. They're both limited. I don't, it's just not a not a fun place to be when it comes to quarterback discussion right now. Uh, ultimately, I would side with whoever the offense coordinator thinks can uh, operate his operate his offense in the most indicative fashion of how he wants it to be conducted. Going through a divorce, issues dividing property, questions about alimony, disputes over child support or visitation, problems enforcing the terms of an existing order. Want to modify a prior visitation or support order? Maybe you need a prenuptial agreement. Questions about adoption. Dealing with acts or allegations of domestic violence? Or maybe you want to appeal a final judgment? Luckily for y'all, the Nolcast knows an expert in family law. In fact, Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm is a board-certified family law attorney, one out of only 280 in the state out of more than 110,000 attorneys. He has over a decade of experience practicing family law in the state of Florida. You can reach him 850-435-9919. Again, you can reach Travis, who's a proud supporter of the Nolcast, at 850-435-9919. I watched the defensive game again. I I, I liked it a pretty good bit. Um, There's two things here that I want to point out, and both are are related to Wake. Number one, the Wake quarterback I don't think played very well in terms of consistency, which which helped Florida State with their success rate. He did have some open throws that he probably should have hit, so all their – Success rate problems are not 100% fixed. But I will also note that I think Florida State's linebackers have played better now for two consecutive games. So I do want to give them credit because before I was saying some of this was kind of fool's gold. And now with another data point of quality play, they deserve some credit. Ontavious Jackson looked better. I thought Emmett Rice played played well. You saw the freshman get in there some. Yeah. Thought we rotated a little bit earlier on the defensive line and then games previous. Yeah. Liked, yeah. liked what I saw there. Um, still some frustrating moments. I thought Wake's quarterback was decent in the first quarter and then was just pretty much uh, pretty much ass after that, to be quite honest with you. So uh, the quarterback was certainly your friend. And then Wake Forest got exceptionally conservative when they got into the red zone and were frequently your, your, uh, your biggest ally when it came to kind of limiting the success that they had in the first half or at least limiting the amount of points that that success was tied to. 
Oh, there, there's absolutely no doubt on that. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to think what else we got here. Oh, so on the other on the flip side of this, the I thought Florida State actually defended Surratt pretty well overall. And I know that sounds crazy to say when the guy had 170 yards, but he had a real low success rate on the day, 36%, which is like a pretty nice job at Florida State. In fact, FSU defended their outside receivers pretty well in terms of, of on a consistent basis. Scotty Washington had only a 25% success rate. Shocking. And a couple I of thought the catches that guy was going to give us a – yeah, I thought I thought Washington was going to uh, not eat Samuel's Jr. lunch. I don't want to say that, but I thought he was going to be a constant thorn in the side, and I was kind of shocked that they didn't really uh, they didn't ignore him. But pretty much the first half, they uh, was not a concern. I totally agree. You know, the guy who actually killed him was was the slot Kendall Hinton. Eighty eight percent success rate, eleven point six yards per target. I mean, they. It took them probably too long to find him, uh, but but I think he did a really nice uh, did a really nice job for them. Uh, Tamari and Terry, however, probably the worst player in the game for Florida State, I would say on, on the night. He, and he, I know he had like a touchdown, which is great, but eighteen percent success rate throwing the ball to Terry. Eleven targets went to Terry, so on eleven plays they threw the ball to him. 18% success rate. That's a 2 out of 11 rate right there, if you guys are, are not really up on the math. Also, I would say uh, this is interesting. Terry had, what, two drops or three drops? I think two. He had two pretty pretty meaningful ones. He had the one that he would have been down on either the two or the one, and then he had that one early on a crossing route that I'm real hesitant to say, oh, he would have taken it to the house, but uh, sure looked like he had a chance to score on that play. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Yards per target for him were five, uh, 5.0, which is terrible. Uh, really might have been the worst player on the field for Florida State was, was Terry. Uh, just like – some of the throws from Blackman him were not were not good, but at the same time, eighteen percent success rate not not working for you. Um, two drops, just just poor overall. Um, yep. I mean, I'm try, if I, I can do some quick math here, but yeah, while you uh, look at the numbers, obviously want to comment on uh, the loss of Ontario Wilson. That's a really tough pill to swallow after losing Helton. And uh, while I'm not critical, while I'm not a big fan of what this guy does frequently and still critical to his general approach of being a punt returner, uh, I thought DJ Matthews had one of the more heady plays that we've seen out of an offensive player in the uh, third and, I don't know, third and eight, third and nine, whatever it was, where he caught the ball, extended it, wasn't given the first down immediately, but upon review was uh, was given the extra yard. And that's uh, uh, for a guy that I'm very critical of frequently. That's one of the more... Uh, of quick little flashes of football intelligence that we've seen from this team this year for a wide receiver who didn't necessarily know where the uh, sticks were. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. I wonder if that's a seven on thing too. Cause I, I've seen a lot of kids stick the ball out there and seven on like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. And he was a really good seven on player. All no, right. I so Ingram, here's our stat for, for the night uh, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> he was pretty nasty in seven on tomorrow. And, uh, on plays that, that targeted Tamari and Terry, Florida State had an 18% success rate. On all other plays, it had a 39% success rate. <laughs> Tough to uh, – damn. Yeah, those are some numbers. Is that is that just a byproduct of forcing them the ball too frequently, or what do you think that is exactly? And obviously dropping it doesn't help, but uh... – No, it, it is impossible to have a successful play if you drop the ball. Uh, we, we, we have discovered that uh, uh, there's some correlation there. I thought you know he had some bad throws to him. He uh, had I, I I wonder if Willie was was trying to get the ball to him more uh, in this game because it had been brought up to him that you know, he had not gotten some touches. And I don't think that's just a hey media brought it up thing. You know I'm pretty sure that like he knew that that Terry had not had the ball as much. But it, it is interesting. Uh, any other thoughts from the game in general? Uh, I love the uh, just a little thing. And and this play was aided by Wake's linebacker kind of getting crossed up or realized he was in a bad place falling down. But the uh, 
the play design, whoever came up with the neighbors uh, on the run fake and then hitting him in the pass play uh, up the middle, that's absolutely brilliant. We've talked about how much of an impact neighbors has had. Uh, would have been hard to predict that in the preseason. Uh, but uh, nice little play that helped uh, give the Florida State offense a slight little dish of diversity when it at other times in the games was basically just desperately relying for Cam Akers to do just about everything. I completely agree. I think that was that was that was genius. According to the uh, the flow chart, uh, if the play worked, I'm supposed to give credit to Kendall Browse. So I'm going to say that was probably Kendall Browse uh, who designed that. But for real, I, I think that probably was a Kendall play. That's kind of about all I got tonight. I, I, I think Florida State did a great job on on success rate in this game. They allowed almost no long runs. Uh, oh, one thing I really disagreed with Willie about tonight or today during his presser. And, look, it's not your job to, to call in and argue with the coach during his presser. You're supposed to ask questions. You know, we, we obviously we at Tomahawk, we asked him the one about the, the runs off the edge that he uh, dismissed rudely after the uh, after the game against Clemson, and he was very wrong about that. Uh, although they did do a better job on that this game, so I guess he's finally right. Uh, maybe he had, a like, a future uh, crystal ball or something. Florida State just had no explosive plays in this game. Um, just that, that was the other issue. Willie said the offense was fine, except for the execution when, when they got down there and, and the, you know, the mistakes, the turnovers, and the, that kind of thing. I, I disagree. Uh, you, you need to create explosive plays unless you're going to be an offense like a triple option offense. And for a team that only had a 37% success rate overall, uh, that's not enough like to, to offset a lack of explosive plays. So the two criticisms I had of the offense were uh, – Yes, not scoring points when they had opportunities to do so enough, although Wake also struggled with that, no excuse. But the lack of explosive plays, both in the run and in the pass game, was a real issue to me. They, they never were able to hit, hit the big one. They had a couple opportunities to do so, and they just did not convert. All right, folks, hopefully uh, hopefully you found that, if not uh, enjoyable, uh, slightly entertaining, perhaps uh, – uh, I don't know, cathartic, who knows. It's a, an idea. We try to give you the best idea possible as to, in our opinion, what's going on. Uh, we'll give you information as it becomes available to us. Um, regardless of the record, <laughs> regardless of the uh, the quality of play on the field, we appreciate the support that the Nolcast receives. Thank you for your listen. Uh, we'll be back again in a couple days and look forward to talking to you again and uh, beginning to preview the eighth game of the season. Five stars on iTunes, y'all.